Hi, this is Bob Smith, formerly of Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine. We're giving our staff announcer the night off tonight because of a very special edition of the podcast tonight. It's the first ever Outdated Wrestling Hour list. We're calling it the Outdated Wrestling Hour 1970s 100. A look back with fondness and gratitude to many of the top wrestling stars of the 1970s, that wild decade. Our special guest tonight, John McAdam from the Arcadian Vanguard hit podcast, Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam, and his co-host, Steve Generelli. This is going to be a good one. Stay tuned for the outdated Wrestling Hour, 1970s, 100. The great Steve Generelli and I, now Steve is the oftentimes co-host of the Stick to Wrestling podcast with John McAdam from the Arcadian Vanguard Network, Brian Last's non-parallel wrestling podcast company. I have nothing but the utmost respect for. Brian, you're the best. I don't care what anybody says. Cherry on top of the cake, my friend. Anyway, so we're kibitzing on Facebook, you know, messaging each other. And Steve goes, I used to love the PWI 500. Do you ever think about doing a like a top 100 of the 70s? And I went, boing, <laughs> you bet I would like to do that. So Steve and I decide we're going to do a show just like that. Before you know it, I don't know how this happened. John McAdam contacts us and says, I want in on this. And I'll tell you what, I can't think. And I'm serious. I cannot think other than maybe Bill Apter. Of two other people I'd rather have doing this with me. So we all made up our own top 100s. We're going to read them all to you. And then at the end, I'm going to announce the official one, which is a conglomerate of all three. Using, you know, the the math and a point system that we came up with. Actually, Steve came up with it. Yeah, Steve's a great booker. John is right. <laughs> Steve came up with this whole concept. So I have to thank him for this show. This is uh, his concept, and I'm proud to give him 100% credit for coming up with it. This is just great. So enough of my yakking. It's going to be a look back at, at, I hope, a whole bunch of stars we're going to pay tribute to right now, and I mean tribute. The 1970s was a fantastic decade for professional wrestling. Don't let the historians fool you, meaning the newbies. Wrestling was red hot in the 1970s. You had the ultra-violent Detroit Federation. You had the smoothest silk, less violent, but every bit as exciting, East Coast with the WWF and other organizations. You had the NWA running all over the country. You had Vern Gagne on top with the AWA. And yes, the AWA was as successful as everyone else. No question about it. You had Florida. You had Alabama. You had Memphis. You had Canada. 
just go on and on down the list all over the United States. Independence to majors, things were rocking in the 1970s. And I also happen to like 70s rock the best, too. So what can I tell you? So I'm going to take a little break here. We're going to do a little commercial announcement. And then Steve Generelli, John McAdam, and I will get started on this in-depth look at the 1970s wrestling scene. This will be one of the greatest shows I ever did. I guarantee you that. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, Wrestling Fans International Association is back. That's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. Well, I have been hyping this for several weeks because I've really been looking forward to this. One of these two gentlemen came up with this idea. I will be honest about this. I didn't think of this. I have with this, and I'm honored to have him with two of the people from Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. First of all, John McAdam. John, welcome to my meager little podcast. How are you doing? Uh, my, my maiden voyage on your podcast, Bob. I mean, it's great to be here. But we'll have to get you on for another show for another topic sometime soon. But welcome. I've been a big fan of your show forever, and this is this is the goods right here. I'm really looking forward to the show. Well, thank you. I'm as outdated as it gets, so I'll be right <laughs> in. And number two, but not he, but he's number one in our hearts, uh, is Steve Generelli, who came up with the concept for the first ever, I'm going to call it the OWH Outdated Wrestling Hour, 1970s 100, the theme of this show. Hello, Steve. How are you? Hello, Bob. Hello, John. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I don't know about you two, but I've, I've been like uh, busting this list and working, working, chiseling on this list uh, with like uh, uh, diamond cutter tools. I mean, it's been really <laughs> hard to come up with this list, but I, I, I think I'm really happy with the finished product. I, I, I can uh, put my name on it. Yeah, me you know, too. Steve, I, I worked that hard on it, too. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. I mean, er, a few days ago, uh, both Steve and Bob sent me their top 100 list. And then I, in turn, I sent them theirs. And I was like, thank God they did this because now I can stop tinkering with my list because I'm, I'm <laughs> sure I would have made multiple changes and they wouldn't have meant anything at the end of the day. So I got to finalize my list a few days ago. And if you guys hear paper rattling in the back, background, it's because I have paper. Yeah, I still use paper, you young punks. <laughs> you know, uh, I could use a tablet. I could use a secondary screen. I don't do that. I use paper. No, I really do. I'm, I'm hooked on the old school way of doing things. I uh, printed it out so I can read my notes a little easier. You know, I'm just that way. What can I tell you? No problem there. You're let me introduce myself to your audience, if you don't mind, Bob. Sure. I mean, my name's John McAdam. I have been a wrestling fan since I turned 11 years old in 1976. Now, people that, and I grew up in the Northeast. Um, so you might wonder, okay, well, what's this guy doing? If he became a fan the second half of the 70s, 
you know, who is he to, to drop a top 100 list? And may I uh, humbly submit that even when I first became a fan, I got as many back issues as as many uh, magazines as I possibly could. Um, I actually did a lot of research for this list. I was checking out rankings, magazine covers, whatever. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel pretty prepared. I, I feel like I, I've done a good job and I put some effort into this. I'm sure you have, just like you do your own great show. So I had no doubt about that. Steve, hype yourself a little bit before we get started, too. Well, well, uh, I had the John and I have been uh, corresponding over the years on various websites like Arcadian Vanguard's Kayfabe Memories. We uh, had lists on those old sites where we would list, you know, Bruno's top challengers, Bob Backlund's top challengers. And at some point, we kind of acknowledged each other and said, hey, hey, you do a nice job with these lists. And when John started his podcast a number of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago now, uh, he was kind enough to reach out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on the show? And and I, I took him up on that. And, uh, uh, you know, years later, he, he had to, um, needed a co-host. So I rejoined him as a co-host. And we have a show that comes out every Friday, just, just like your show, Bob. And uh, it's really popular. People seem to like it. And we've got a huge Facebook group. And we're going to share your show with the group so they get to hear this. And uh, But this is really a great uh, tribute to the 70s. I'm excited about it. Well, I want to say something to both of you guys. And I mean this sincerely. I can't think of two better guys to do this list with. Because you were there. <laughs> you were there along with me. You know, we were, we're all there. there for most of this, right? Mm-hmm. For most mm-hmm. of it, I was. Yeah. Yeah. And- so we have a perspective that I think a younger person may not have. There you go. And I, I really hope more than anything, you know, more than a someone who is in their 50s or 60s, I hope someone in their teens or 20s uh, listens to this and, and really enjoys it and gets a historical perspective. Let me tell you how I did this, guys. I didn't just put out, you know, numbers. I ranked all of the wrestlers in tiers. And the tiers were a legit contender for number one. And there were three guys, legit contenders for the top five, top 10, and then top 25. Then there are guys who need to be in the top 100 guys who should be in the top 100 and guys that could be in the top 100. No one in the could be's made it. A, a few guys <laughs> in the could be's uh, didn't make it. Steve, how'd you do your list? Well, I, uh, Got you know all the names first on paper, and then I the the tricky part was yeah maneuvering them up or down and uh, shifting them, and and the one thing that I I wanted to say is uh, my list in my opinion is is broken down into three categories. The top thirty are all kind of like no brainers people that should be at the very top. The middle are all great you know stars of the seventies who belong there. And then the last third, I would say, uh, are a combination of the stars of the 80s who maybe just got their their feet wet in the 70s or stars from the 60s who were just finishing up in the early 70s. So that's kind of what makes up my list. Well, John, excuse me, Steve, when you and I were going over how we were going to do this in the beginning, you said something that stuck with me, which was we're going we're going to look at the influence that these wrestlers had on the 70s specifically right i mean right how, how much cadence or, or credibility they had in that decade i kept that in, want, in mind when i compiled my list um there was quite a few names of big stars that i left off my list because they were either huge in the 60s and finishing up or 
starting out, I don't think, let's say on my list, Randy Savage didn't make it. He was working in the 70s. Right. But he right. was still a raw rookie at that point. He, he was in Detroit and stuff like that. Sure. His star didn't really take off until three, four years later. So yeah. the, the way I look at it, I kind of kept it very, my list is very 70s centric. But Good. I think everybody on my list is important. And, you know, the fun part will be when I have to sit down and, and we'll tabulate uh, the final top 100 of the 70s. And that'll be the official list that we all three came up with. And I, 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 go ahead, I'm John, sorry, Steve, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just I just wanted to add that uh, I know what we got some uh, some of our Arcadian Vanguard people listening, like Vandal Drummond. I wanted to say that if anybody got short shrift on this list, it was probably going to be the tag team guys, at least in my opinion. Uh, on my list, you're not going to see guys like uh, the High Flyers. You're not going to see Gordman and Black Goliath or her Great Goliath. Uh, a lot of the uh, tag team wrestlers did not make this list because. In the 70s, there were so many great single stars. They really dominated, and they really were good headliners. And we didn't I didn't want to short shrift them on the case of uh, a tag team guy who uh, may not have been a big uh, box office guy. Well, what I was going to say, Steve, is I based it on three things. Number one, how big a push you got. It's the wrestling business. If you're not portrayed as a star, you're not a star. How big a draw? Uh, you were reputed to be and work rate was factored in. Um, I also tried very hard not to uh, overemphasize the guys from the late seventies who are more familiar with or guys from the WWF who are, who are more familiar with, but I also did not try to overcompensate. So I'm hoping I'm, I'm walking that uh, line, doing that balance thing. Also um, my list is guys only who are primarily wrestling in the United States. I did not include guys who primarily were in Japan or in Mexico. However, if you are a, a bruiser Brody type and you did a lot in Japan, I counted that. I did not ignore it. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Very good. Very good. Now, before we get started, I have one, but one question. Where's George Goulis on your list, guys? <laughs> Number 101. Oh. <laughs> As they used to say in Billboard, just bubbling under. <laughs> there you go. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad you guys laughed at George Gulas joke. That's that's great. <laughs> All right. Why don't we get started with this? Uh fans, uh, strap in, get your popcorn bowl, get your beer, get your hot chocolate, whatever you like. This will take a little time, but I think it's gonna be worth every second of it. So why don't we start with John? John, you're gonna go backwards from 100, right? Yes, I am. And you know what? I'll even do more than that. The guys, I have 15 guys who just barely did not make the list. Uh, Robert Fuller, George Becker, Danny Hodge, Masa Saido, Chavo Guerrero, Bobby Shane, uh, Cowboy Bob Kelly, Tully Blanchard, Toro Tanaka, Dino Bravo, Killer Carl Cox, Jesse Ventura, Bill Ramos, Thunderbolt Patterson, and Dominic DiNucci all just missed. Um so 100 through 91, number 100, I had Bulldog Brower. Number 99, I had Pamper Firpo. Number 98, I had Angelo Mosca Sr. Number 97, I had Bobby Duncan Sr. Number 96, I had David Von Erich. Number 95, Peter Maivia. Number 94, Steve Kern. Number 93, Swede Hansen, who had an interesting 70s. He was big early in the, in the decade and then came up to New York at the end of it and did very little in the middle. Uh, Buddy Colt was number, my number 92, and the great Mephisto was my number 91. 
Interesting. Very good start. Okay, Steve, how about you? Uh, my number 100, Luscious John Valiant for all of his uh, box office as a tag team wrestler. Number 99, King Kong, Angela Mosca. Number 98, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Number 97, Paul Orndorff. Number 96, a huge star in Portland, Dutch Savage. Number 95, and this is a tribute to Howard Baum of Arcadian Vanguard, Cyclone Negro, who was a huge star in Florida. Number 94, one of John's favorites, Gino Hernandez. Number 93, the late Moondog Lonnie Maine. Number 92, from the WWF, Tony Gurria. Number 91, the Mongolian Stomper. And number 90, Killer Carl Cox. Very good. Okay. Mine's a little different. You see, all three lists are going to be a little different. It would be boring if they weren't. That's right. (laughs) My number 100 is Jerry Briscoe, (laughs) brother of the world champ. Number 99 is Rufus R. Jones, who was a big star about the middle of that decade, as was number 98, Tony Marino, the former Batman, who was a big (laughs) star in Detroit. Number 97 is a wrestler who I think was just the drizzling shits, but he was somehow a star from the 50s till about 1990, Brooke Bernard in number 97. (laughs) Number 96, Don Morocco, just, just getting his feet wet. Number 95 was either Lars Anderson or Larry Hainimi, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> Number 94, Mr. Fuji, who did a little so- more solo in the decade than he gets credit for, but he was best known as a tag team guy. 93 was Rick Steamboat, who already had a bunch of championships in the 70s. 92, Paul Jones, all, pretty much a face in that decade. 91, the hated Bull Ramos. And number 90, uh, who would have rated much higher except for tragedy striking in Johnny Valentine. I wow. have Ricky Steamboat far higher than either of you. I thought I, I know he started in 1975, but by 1977, he was a huge star. I believe he won the United States title in Crockett in 1977. So a bit of a discrepancy there. Yeah, sure. But you know what? Once we level off these three, I think we're going to have a very interesting list. And, Speaking of the list, John, we're going to go from 89 to 80, I guess. I have Jim Brunzel at number 90, the Mongolian Stomper at number 89, Moondog Maine at number 88, Johnny Valiant at number 87, Gorilla Monsoon at uh, number 86, Bob Roop at number 85, Joe LaDuke at number 84, Kevin Von Erich at number 83, uh, Killer Carl Cox, who it turns out I do have him on here. I, I <laughs> had him out of there, but he's 82, and Roddy Piper is number 81. And Steve talked about a little bit about the tag team guys. I did include them. As you can see, I've got Johnny Valiant and uh, Jim Brunzel, who were primary, primarily tag team guys. I mean, they, you know, they had a big role in their promotion. Yeah, I, I uh, despite what I said at the very beginning, I did have John Valiant at 100 just because uh, they were huge in the magazines, they were huge on the East Coast, and they were big in, in other territories too, yes. AWA, WWA. Uh, but but yeah, he, he wasn't a great wrestler, but he, he was a definitely a great personality. He was. He was a big star. Mm-hmm. All right, All right well. Well, I'm up. It, so mm-hmm. this is my next group. Uh, number 89, the huge Ron Fuller. Number 88, Ted DiBiase. Number 87, Jimmy Snuka. Number 86, Don Morocco. 
number 85 about the best wrestler you're going to find on either list of three lists, Bob Orton Jr. Number 84, the underrated Bob Armstrong. Number 83, the mass superstar. Number 82, Joe LaDuke. Number 81, Gorilla Monsoon. And number 80, Stan the Man Stasiak, the heart punch specialist. Mm-hmm. Real good. All right, I'm going to go back. I'll surprise you with number 89, Chris Colt, <laughs> whose influence seems to be strong to this day. Number 88, Joe or Joss LaDuke. That's <laughs> how you used to spell it, right? Number 87, Jim Brunzel. Number 86, Mike Graham. Number 85, you can choose Mass Superstar or Bolo Mongo or the Paramedic. <laughs> and all of his guises. Number 84, Carlos Colon. 83, Ox Baker. 82, Dino Bravo. 81, Thunderbolt Patterson. And 80, is he a heel? Is he a face? I don't know. He's Mark Lewin. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to say Dick Slater. Oh, that's a good, yeah, it's another one of those guys, exactly. How about, all right, let's keep it rocking here. Go for uh, 79 through uh, 70, Mr. McAdam. Okay, I will. I just want everyone to know, too, that what I tried to do was anything that happened before January 1st, 1970 does not count, and anything that happened after December 31st, 1979 does not count. I did my best to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, number 80, Nikolai Volkov. Number 70, Stan Stasiak. Uh, number 78, Mass Superstar slash Bolo Mongol. I didn't know about the other persona. Uh, number <laughs> 77, Bob Orton Jr. Number 76, Spiros Arion. Number 75, Mr. Fuji. Uh, Mr. Fuji was the United States champion out in, out in San Francisco. So, I mean, he's not just a tag team guy. Ted DiBiase is number 74. Ron Garvin is number 73. Mark Lewin, 72. And Great Gagne, 71. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent work. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll jump in here. Uh, number 79, Mr. Fuji. Number 78, Bob Roop. Number 77, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. Number 76, Missing in Action, Victor Rivera. Number 75, The High Chief, Peter Maivia. I've got to turn my page here. <laughs> paper. Paper, paper, paper. <laughs> um, number 74, The Mighty Igor. Number 73, Pampero Furpo. Number 72, Edouard Carpentier. Number 71, Gene Anderson, the tag team wrestler. And number 70, Don Leo Jonathan. Cool stuff. All right. Yeah, I, I'm loving how these lists are all kind of different. I'm going to start number 79 as the spoiler. <laughs> number 78, Cowboy Bob Ellis. Number 77, the father of the legends, Angelo Poffo. <laughs> Number 76, Gene Anderson. 75, Larry Hennig. A lot of dads here. <laughs> right? Number 74, Waldo Von Erich. 73, and way up in, in esteem. We'll talk about this afterwards. Travel Guerrero Sr. 72, take your pick. The Stomper, Guy Mitchell, Jerry Valiant, Dr. X. All the same guy. <laughs> 71, I, I don't know if this made anybody else's list, but I thought he was awesome and he was working. Bobby Heenan. And number 70, Mr. Portland himself, Dutch Savage. Wow. Dutch Savage, I, I was an omission of uh, an error on my part. That's one that I missed. You know, you know what, though? He when needs these lists together, 
I had 250 names. Yeah. I, I just off the top of my head, I came up with 250 names. I like, who do you leave off? Yeah. No, but I mean, I, Dutch Savage was a a mistake on my part. I, I can I can I can cop to that. The more I think we can all we can all say that though. We've all we've all missed people. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. Yes. So I can start at number seventy. Uh, okay. Don Morocco was my seventy. Uh, Mike Graham was my sixty nine. Haystack Calhoun was really winding down by the end of the decade, but he was a big attraction throughout. Uh, Gene Anderson, the Robin of the Anderson's tag team, is number 67. Ox Baker, 66. Dick Slater, 65. Blackjack Lonza, number 64, based not only on the success of the Blackjack's tag team, but he got a big push in Georgia in 1979. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ron Fuller, 63. Number 62 was really hard to rate. Fred Blassie, huge in the beginning of the 70s, but was done by 1974. And uh, number 61, Jerry Jarrett. Nice. Steve. Number 69, Blackjack Lanza. Number 68, Professor Taru Tanaka. Number 67, Waldo Von Erich. Number 66, Big Bad Bobby Duncombe. Number 65, Big, Big Thunder, Gene Kaniski. Number 64, Jose Lothario. Number 63, Handsome Jimmy Valiant. Number 62, one of John's favorites, George the Animal Steel. <laughs> number 61, Killer Kowalski. And at number 60, Ox Baker. Steve, we live in a world where, where I have George Steele ranked far, far above where you have him ranked. I, and I'm shocked by that. I'm honestly shocked by that. I can't even remember why I have him ranked. This should be interesting. Okay. All right, here we go. My number 69 is Dick Murdoch. 68 is Johnny Valiant slash John L. Sullivan. He started in Pittsburgh under a different name. 67, Mighty Igor. 66, Robert Fuller. 65, Spiros Arion. 64, King Curtis. 63, Yukon Musholak. It's Nick, it's nickname time. 62, <laughs> Flying Fred Curry. 61, Tony Guerrilla. And 60, the Japanese star, Sagaguchi. He did make a lot of appearances here in the uh, he did. US, so yes, I had he did. him on this list. Number 60, I know he's not an internet favorite, but Ivan Putsky was a huge star in the WWF. He was yes, the he number was. two babyface for a long time. Number 60, Ivan Putsky. 59, Larry Henning. Uh, 58, Jimmy Snuka. 57, he started in 1976, but by 1978, 1979, he was on the cover of a bunch of magazines. Tommy Rich. Uh, mm-hmm. Number 56, Johnny Weaver. Number 55, Baron Von Rath. Number 54, Mighty Igor was a huge star in the 70s, especially early and mid-70s. Number 53, Bruiser Brody. And again, I'm counting what he did in Japan. Number 52, John Tolos, another Fred Blassie type who was huge early in the decade but was gone by the end of it. And number 51, Buddy Rose, King of Portland. Number 59, Chavo Guerrero. Number 58, Ivan Putsky. Number 57, Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods. Number 56, The Spoiler. Number 55, Spiros Arion. Number 54, Bobby Shane. Number 53, The Enigmatic, Mark Lewin. Number 52, Ole Anderson. And number 51, Bruiser Brody. Wow. Okay. 
59 for me, Professor Toru Tanaka. 58, Rocky Johnson. Here's Ivan Putski again at 57. Stan Hansen at 56 to break her around the world, right? 55, <laughs> Bob, Arm- Bob Armstrong. 54, Tony Atlas. 53, Peter Mayavia. 52, and who in my heart would be in the top 10, Greg Valentine. 51, Mad Dog Bashan. And 50, Jose Lothario. You know, you mentioned uh, Stan Hansen. There is a, do- a Bruno documentary on Peacock, if you are a subscriber. And the documentary itself is great. I recommend it. But they show the footage of uh, Stan Hansen body slamming Bruno Sammartino and breaking his neck. And, ladies and gentlemen, you will be blown away by this. It looked like, I mean, it, it, this could have killed a normal person. This mm-hmm. thing dropped him right on his head. Yeah, yeah so spiked that, him like a football. Yeah, I saw that crazy. too, and it's it's hard to watch. It is. It's, it's you know what it reminds me. You, you cut to today, Big E's injury recently. If you yes. see that thing in slow motion, you wonder how he's walking today. Wow. You know, it's just really, really bad. So, this is why I don't believe in death matches. Okay, uh, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll go back to John now to continue our list. All right, number 50, I have Stan Hansen. Uh, Number 49, Jackie Fargo. Once again, clearly a nod to the beginning of the decade. Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods at number 48. Don Leo Jonathan at 47. Jimmy Valiant, because he was the the Batman of the Valiants tag team. The Valiants (laughs) were huge. They, I mean, they headlined Madison Square Garden as a tag team. So he's 46. Bob Armstrong, 45. Ole Anderson, my pal, number 44. <laughs> I, I say that, but the Andersons were probably tag team of the decade, and he was the lead. You know, he was the Batman of the tag team. So he's 54. 43. How many times can you can you headline Madison Square Garden without being way up there? George the Animal Steel. He must have main evented MSG a dozen times. I wish I had counted before the show started. It's easy enough to look up. Number 42, Victor Rivera. And number 41, uh, maybe a nod to my childhood, but he was huge in the Northeast, Chief J. Strongbow. Wow. Yes, he was what a list. huge, huge. We'll talk about that later on. He was he was it between seventy two and seventy four. I'm telling you, wow, he was over. But, but, but I, I'm impressed by how similar these lists are. I had to say that. Uh, but for me, uh, number fifty, Stan Hansen. Number forty nine, Dick Murdoch. Number forty eight, Baron von Raschke. Number forty seven, Dino Bravo. Number forty six, Blackjack Mulligan. Number forty five, Tommy Rich. Number forty four, Larry the Axe Hennig. Number 43, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Number 42, The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And number 41, Dick Slater. Wow. Okay, here we go with my next 10. Let's hear it. Um, 49, Blackjack Mulligan, for reasons you guys described. 48, Ken Batera, who was, as early as 1977, the most hated wrestler of the year in the London magazines. By the way, I'll regress and say that Stan Hansen was the most hated in 75. <laughs> and it's for one thing, for one thing, right? Yep. 76. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, excuse me. You're right. 76. I can't even read my writing. Beautiful. <laughs> so 49 was Mulligan, 48 Patera, 47. Here comes Victor Rivera again. 46 Pampero for Bo. 45, the screaming, howling Bulldog Brower. 44, here comes Batman. It's Jimmy Valiant. <laughs> 43 is Wahoo McDaniel. 42, Edward Carpentier. 41, Don Leo Jonathan. And maybe a surprise to be up this high at 40, Bill Dundee. Hmm. 
Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why these lists are cool. I mean, you know, I was going over old old Memphis results, and you know, Bill Dundee never really registered to me. But I mean, again, life would be boring if we all had the same opinion. Well, here we go. But once we get done, we'll just we, we can discuss why people rated they did because you got to sure. remember territories back then. Mm, that's right. And a lot of these guys were on equal playing fields as far as titles and and their ability to draw. It, we, we tend to look at things myopically as East Coasters, but I wanted to make sure that these territories got their say here because it's like, you know what I'm saying? This was the territory era. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay, John, let her rip. All right, number 40, Greg Valentine, the Robin of the Ric Flair Greg <laughs> Valentine action. <laughs> Uh, number 39, Dickie Murdoch. Number 38, big and early and mid part of the decade, Jose Lothario. Number 37, Ken Patera. Number 36, Jerry the King Lawler. Number 35, Johnny Valentine. That's, that's a heck of a high rating for a guy who stopped wrestling at the end of 1975. Number 34, Ricky Steamboat. Um, I'm a little bit surprised you guys had him as low as you did. Well, I already talked about this. He was the, you know, the United States champion, the lead babyface in the Carolinas. Number 33, Bobo Brazil. Number 32, Abdullah the Butcher. And number 31, Ray the Crippler Stevens. Excellent list. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my number 40, King Curtis. Number 39, John Tolos. Number 38, Cowboy Bill Watts. Number 37, the king of all men, Fred Blassie. Number 36, Johnny Powers. Number 35, Red Bastine. Number 34, Rocky Johnson. Number 33, the world's strongest man, Ken Patera. Number 32, Chief J. Strongbow. And number 31, Abdullah the Butcher. Wow, these, these lists are good. Rife was super okay. It was huge in Australia and in New Zealand. So I should have given him, him more consideration. Yes, yeah, yeah. Huge in yeah, Florida, was, especially in Florida, and big in the, in the in the early part of the decade, he was big in the East Coast. So he yes. was all around the world, literally in that decade. Good point. All right, here we go with my. And you know, as I'm looking at my list here, here come all the legends. It's all legends. <laughs> it is legends. Yes. Um, thirty nine Billy Robinson, thirty eight John Tolos, thirty seven Ray Stevens, thirty six. I had to I had to really think about this one, but he stacks Calhoun. Considering that number 35 is Ric Flair. <laughs> That's funny. Right? Right. <laughs> it doesn't even sound two right. Or polar opposite wrestlers. No, no. Uh, 34 was Fritz von Eric. 33, Gorilla Monsoon. 32, a still vibrant Killer Kowalski. 31, Stan Stasiak. And 30, a personal favorite, Pat Patterson. Excellent list. All right, yeah, these are these are really good lists, guys. Congratulations. My number thirty is Mister Wrestling Two. Number twenty nine, Pat Patterson. Number twenty eight, Mad Dog Vashon. Number twenty seven, Paul Jones. Primarily his Mid Atlantic babyface, who had a great heel turn in nineteen seventy eight. Killer Kowalski. That number twenty six. Number twenty five, Cowboy Bill Watts. Number 24, Crusher Lasowski. Number 23, Ernie Ladd. Number 22, Rocky Johnson. And number 21, Fritz von Erich. Very good. good. Yeah. Um, and you're right. My, all legends are moving forward. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier this from this point forward. <laughs> number 30, Mad Dog Vachon. Number 29, Giant Baba. Number 28, Antonio Inoki. Number 27, Johnny Valentine. 
Number 26, Mr. Wrestling 2. I'm turning my, turning my page. Number 25, Fritz Von Erich. Number 24, Paul Jones. Number 23, The Crusher. Number 22, Ray Stevens. And number 21, the world's most dangerous man, Dick the Bruiser. <laughs> now, let me nice. throw this in. You you ranked uh, Baba and Inoki in the top 20s, which is, uh, it makes a little bit of sense if you're just going by the United States only. I mean, Inoki had the big match against Muhammad Ali. He made appearances in the uh, the NWF, was it, in Buffalo, Cleveland? Yeah, yes. the Sunny Powers promotion. Uh, you know, and he... But and Baba obviously did things on the West Coast. But to me, if, if I did not rank either of them, but if I were to rank either of them, like if I didn't have that, okay, you have to be based in the United States rule. Inoki would be either number two, three, or four, and Baba would definitely be. I want to say definitely top ten, definitely top fifteen for me. Now yeah, wait a minute or two. <laughs> you know what? Definitely top ten. Yeah. Okay, Steve. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I, am I? Uh, am I? Uh, am I do up? Am I up? I believe Bob is up. Oh, I'm up. I'm sorry. Here's what I consider the most controversial member of my list at 29: the fabulous Mula. That is controversial. Utterly dominated women's <laughs> wrestling. Supplied all the women wrestlers. Say what you want about her personally. She had a giant, giant reach in the wrestling world. I had to put her on this list. I, I did not include her because I think it's um it, it's just kind of a mix of apples and oranges, but it's it's definitely an interesting selection. I went on a car ride with Mula in the car, and I thought I, I mean all allegations aside, she was funny. I enjoyed her. She was a yeah. funny, funny old broad. I, I'll tell you what, everybody loved hanging with her. I know that much. You know, that's I for sure. Yeah. All right, so that was and in 28. It's another probably too high for most people's face, but I'm looking at his influence behind the scenes for two major deals, and that was Johnny Powers from mm. Canada. No, oh, very good. 20, 27, Mill Mascaris. 26, here he is, George the Animal Steel. 25, Ivan Koloff. 24, The Crusher. Whoops, I'm still fiddling around with papers here. 23, Chief J. Strongbow. 22, Peter Morales. And 21, Dory Funk Jr. Excellent list. May I share my, my Johnny Powers anecdote? I'd love to sure. hear this. Sure. This is, this is like the first time I ever watched wrestling. It is my last night living in New York. The next day, I'm getting on a plane, and I'm flying to Providence. I'm going to live in North Attleboro, Massachusetts for a while. And one of my cousins came. Well, my parents were going to a party and you know saying goodbye. And one of my cousins was babysitting me. And it's midnight, and he's like, okay, do you want to go to bed or do you want to watch wrestling? Well, what 10-year-old is going to say, oh, I want to go to bed? <laughs> So I really didn't know what this stuff was. I knew what boxing was. I figured, okay, this was like boxing, except, you know, they're wrestling. And Johnny Powers is wrestling. And Bulldog Brower comes out of nowhere and starts hitting them in the head with a chair. <laughs> I was I was like, this is crazy. Can you imagine, you know, uh, uh, Ken Norton running in the ring and hitting Muhammad Ali with the chair? Or Johnny <laughs> Bench running out of the dugout and hitting Tom Seaver with a chair? I was blown away by this. And yeah, Johnny Powers should have been on my list. 
No, so, I'll tell so, you, <laughs> those guys had it. John, they had a huge influence on me too. Both those guys. I just, um, you know, I they were two of the first wrestlers I ever saw in my life. So you know, once you see that when you're young, it sticks with you. Yeah, for sure. And the next day, the movers show up, and I start talking to them like, "Hey, are you guys going to see Johnny Powers against Bulldog Brower?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're going." And they, like, we start talking <laughs> wrestling with these guys. My parents are like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> Good memories. All right, who's up now? I believe I am. Let's hear it. Okay. Now we're in the top 20. So we're, we're near the tip of the iceberg. Number 20, Blackjack Mulligan, huge star in the Mid-Atlantic area. And once again, Batman of the Blackjacks team. Uh, Ric Flair, number, number 19 from 1976 on. He was one of the top stars in the sport. Number 18, Dick the Bruiser. Yes, by 1979, he kind of, he hadn't gone away, but he was getting older, but early mid decade, he was one of the top guys. Uh, number 17, Ivan Koloff, number 16, Wahoo McDaniel, number 15, Billy Robinson, number 14. And here's one that I'd like to change. Mil Moscaris is probably a little bit high at 14. Yes. He was a big star in Los Angeles. Houston had his run against superstar, Billy Graham and was on the cover of the magazines all the time. But I think I overrated that, that magazines aspect. So I'm not saying he's a, a bad pick at 14, but he might be a little bit high. If Number you leave, if you leave out his IWA world championship, true. Um, it adds to that luster a little bit. So I can, I can see why that may have added, you know, a little, little sheen to that. Maybe in the in my uh, in the back of my mind, in my subconscious, I was thinking about the IWA World Championship, which <laughs> still holds to this day. Team mm-hmm. uh, Bob Backlund, uh, number twelve, Terry Funk, and number eleven, the Sheik. Nice. Well, on my list, you're going to hear a lot of the same names that John just <laughs> wrote off, but. Uh, number 20, Bobo Brazil. Number 19, Wahoo McDaniel. Number 18, Ivan Koloff. Number 17, The Big Cat, Ernie Ladd. Number 16, Billy Robinson. Number 15, Pat Patterson. Number 14, Pedro Morales. Number 13, uh, uh, Mel Mascaris. So, John, you put him in a good place. Number 12, <laughs> Bob Packlin. And number 11, Harley Race. Very good. Okay. I'm going to start at 20 with the little tadpole Jerry Lawler at that point. <laughs> 19, Mr. Wrestling 2. Just We'll talk about that later. 18, Ernie Ladd. 17, Antonio Noki. 16, Bobo Brazil. 15, Jack Briscoe. 14, Dick the Bruiser. 13, Blassie, and I want to debate that later too. 12, Bob Backlund. And number 11, and tough to leave him out of the top 10, Nick Bockwinkle. Wow. We, we, here we, we are. We're, we're at the top 10 now. This is it. Rarefied error. Mm-hmm. I and everyone in the top 10, I think, except for number one, obviously, you know, maybe could be argued higher. But I had number 10, Harley Race, uh, won the NWA championship uh, for real in uh, February 1977. He had held it earlier in 1974, I believe, or 1975. Uh, and he was a top guy even when he didn't have the NWA championship. He was one of the top, biggest stars in Florida, biggest stars in St. Louis, one of the bigger stars in Florida, uh, in Georgia, as well as Florida. 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and oh, and the Mid Atlantic area too. So Harley wasn't just a guy who spent three of the years of this decade as NW, NWA champion. Like he was a big star throughout. Well, well, uh, John, John rated Harley at number um, ten. I rated Harley at number eleven. So we're kind of neck and neck. My number ten was Vern Gagne, who uh, you know was rated very high. Uh, he was the AWA champion um, going back to I think the late uh, like maybe sixty seven or so, and he would lose the title in I think late seventy five to Nick Bockwinkel. But he would remain a top uh, star in the AWA and, of course, was the promoter of the AWA. So, uh, Bob, who do you have as your number 10? Terry Funk. Wow. The good good guy, bad guy, NWA world champion, and one of the most realistic workers of all time. You can't forget those brawls in Japan where it was Abby and the Sheik against the Funk brothers. Um just a, a legacy like few wrestlers have been able to achieve. And he's got to be in my top 10 for the seventies because he had his title run back when the NWA championship meant a whole lot. I saw Abdul of the butcher and the Sheik against the funks uh, that I believe it was the 1977 match mm-hmm. for the first time in 1987. And I was blown away. The match was 10 years old and they were doing like such innovative stuff. And, you know, now, you know, you turn on an episode of ECW and you see all of that, but it was so ahead of its time. What a great match. I, I, if you, you know, I believe it's on YouTube. If any of the listeners want to check that out. It is. It is. And they got to check it out for sure. Okay. We, here we go to number nine. My number nine was superstar Billy Graham. And again, he was a guy who kind of, he was a not really, he was a star in the early eighties, but he really took off when he arrived in the world wrestling federation, uh, late 1975. And obviously he had a tremendously successful run as the world wrestling federation champion. So I'm going with Graham number nine. Um, uh, great choice, John. Uh, my number nine is uh, the aforementioned Terry Funk, who uh, really brought a different style of championship to the NWA at that time. Uh, he was definitely uh, uh, out- outrageous, outlandish. He was he was really different than all the prior champions, like the the classic style champion that Jack Briscoe was, and. Uh, the old school champs that Dory Jr. and that Gene Kaniski were. And, uh, and of course, Terry would prove to be uh, one of the huge stars of the 80s and 90s as well. And so, Bob, who do you have for your number nine? I think you'll find this controversial, Giant Baba. That's kind Not of for me. <laughs> huge, huge draw here. Major star internationally, obviously. I mean, um, I, I tried to, to convince myself to rate him lower, and I couldn't do it. I just thought mm-hmm. his influence was so great that he had to be top 10. He was a major star that I think history has tended to forget a little bit. Well, yeah, he I, was I a mean, big that, star out here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, when he, when he made visits over here, they were big coin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what he did with that promotion is, is incredible. I mean, p- people long for the days of all Japan for that era to come back, but I guess it's not going to come back. No, I mean, <laughs> Time does not move backward. You know, one thing I wanted to mention about Terry Funk, um, as great as he was, and he was the first real heel 
NWA champion. Like Dory and Kaniski, you know, they knew how to play heel, but they weren't pure heels the way Terry Funk was. But I have to say this, Terry Funk's run with the NWA championship was considered not very successful. He wasn't a big draw. Yeah, and he, uh, like like other champions, I guess he asked out because it was killing his marriage and uh, the travel demands were insane at that time. And he only held it for uh, a little over a year. Yep. So some guys just aren't cut out for it. I know I wouldn't be. <laughs> How about you, John, for number eight? Number eight, Jack Briscoe had a long and successful uh, run with the NWA championship, was a draw. He's known as a babyface, but he knew how to play subtle heel when the time came. And once again, uh, before he won the championship and after he lost the championship, he was still a major, major star in the game. One of the greatest in-ring performers ever. I think just on the based on just the wrestling alone, I think he was the the best pure wrestler of the of the seventies, in my opinion. Just just based on the wrestling ability itself. Yeah, I mean, he was a legit All American in Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was ama- He was amazing. A great choice there. Uh, my uh, my number eight was Ed Farhat, the Sheik. I mean, he was. Uh, had a great run in the 60s, started out, I think, in the 50s. Uh, you know, what he did in the 70s, uh, there was good and bad for him in the 70s, but he remained a, a headliner in his town, Detroit, and, of course, Toronto, and and uh, is big in other cities. In t- Texas, he was big. Uh, and I thank Brian Solomon for writing that book because, to me, the Sheik was like a forgotten figure once uh, – you know, sure, the newsletter people knew that he was wrestling in Japan in the uh, even the early 2000s. He was still wrestling. But uh, other than the newsletter readers, uh, I think, you know, people forgot about the Sheik uh, once 1980 went away. So, um, Bob, who's your number eight? Bruiser Brody before Bruiser Brody. And then he fought Bruiser Brody. It's Abdullah the Butcher, <laughs> who was... So unique because you can't say he was a star in fill in the blank because he was everywhere, everywhere around the globe and in every federation except the East Coast, WWF. He wrestled every place. I think he took Sheik's act and multiplied it. You know, he was just the scariest son of a gun I ever saw in a ring. I'll tell you that much. So uh, he's got he's got to be in my top 10 at number eight. You know, I saw Abdullah the Butcher. He came to uh, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions in 1985 as Tully Blanchard's assassin or something like that. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is Abdullah the Butcher. He's one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Why are you using him like this? Now, why are you not making him a bigger star? And little did I know, because he's he's on his way back to Japan in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wow. You know, it's, here's another thing about Abby. When I first saw him, it was around late 72 in Peter Martinez's NWF. And he was so doggone scary that Jack Reynolds, the announcer, once actually said on TV, this has to stop or somebody's going to get killed. And it was a wow. studio show. And it was a studio show. And Abdullah so, could move in those early days, too. Yes, he was agile. He could move. And let me tell you, I never saw anybody wreck jobbers the way he did oh my god just in those early days he was just ferocious so that's my number eight all right my number seven and apparently each of you have him rated unless i miss it have him rated higher than i do 
but it's, I mean, it's tough. This is where it's, it's hard to have guys uh, low as low as they are. Pedro Morales, I mean, he had a long run uh, with the WWF championship. Uh, he drew well at Madison Square Garden. My understanding is he drew okay in Philadelphia, just not as well in, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, etc. But he had the run. And then after the run, he remained a big star in the AWA Florida until, you know, finally coming back into the WWF in 1980. I always wondered, even when I was a kid, even when I was in junior high, why is Pedro Morales not up here challenging superstar Billy Graham for the WWF championship? I, I'll never understand why that didn't happen. That's a good thought. I never even considered that. That's an amazing thought right there. See, yeah, I obsess about things that you don't <laughs> think about. You're the lucky one. <laughs> well, well, my number seven is uh, you know the incomparable Nick Bockwinkel, who uh, ended up being the AWA champion for the rest of the 70s after he beat Vern in the late 75. And uh, I think he would hold it into uh, 80 or 80. I think he lost the title to Vern again in 80 and uh, or 81. And Vern 80. retired. 80. He retired with the belt. Uh, Vern did, and but 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 Nick's Nick's work is just uh, uh, just so magnificent in the ring. His, his ring work is incredible. Uh, uh, his interviews are, are very very good. I mean, it, it's funny that a guy who could interview as well as he did had Bobby Heenan, the greatest mouthpiece of all time, too. So, I mean, uh, you know, people wonder why was the AWA such a huge success to have. Bachwinkle and Heenan and the Heenan family at the top of the cards. You could see why uh, it was very, uh, it may have been the Four Horsemen or the uh, NWO of that era. But uh, I'll let you go ahead, Bob, with your pick of number seven. Uh, the Sheik. Mm -hmm. Hardcore before it was hardcore. Introduced, and one thing that he did that not, he doesn't have credit for is introduced so many younger wrestlers like the Pafos and you know, we talked earlier about Abby and stuff like that. He was just, again, he fizzled out by the middle of the decade, but those early years in the, of the decade were memorable. And he was as hot as any federation ever in terms of territory. So I have to give it to the Sheik. Yeah, his shtick grew stale real quick, but the influence goes on to this day. Yeah, he uh, he helped J.J. Dillon get a start. I mean, there were many, many oh, yeah. name wrestlers who he helped get started. Chris Colt's another one. Um, just mm -hmm. go, just go down the list. Just, actually, you know, they always list those Detroit cars on Facebook. And if you go down those lists, the young guys are guys that he usually gave a break to. So again, he wasn't perfect, but he was an influence. No question. I believe we're up to number six. Yes. Okay. My number six is someone who I almost accidentally omitted and I would have lost all credibility doing this. <laughs> I just thought I had him on the list. And I was like about two days before I sent my list to these to the two of you. I'm like, wait a minute, where is he? Andre the giant. And <laughs> you know, he drew wherever he went, uh, you know, I've always said this about wrestling. You know, Johnny Bench didn't go to Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, Joe Namath didn't show up in Sacramento, California. But Andre the Giant would show up in a small town, and everyone would come out and see him. He was big in New York, and he was big in Japan. He was big everywhere. So Andre the Giant, number six, and obviously I have him ranked even lower than each of you. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, and we'll talk about Andre a little bit more, I'm sure. 
Uh, my number six uh, was one of the, uh, and still to this day, one of the most respected NWA champs, Dory Funk Jr., who uh, had a great run from the late 60s to the, I guess it was around uh, 72, 73. He lost to uh, Harley uh, uh, briefly, and then Harley lost to Briscoe, I believe. And uh, but, but Dory was just uh, a great, great wrestler in the ring. I mean, his size uh, and, and the way he would dominate his opponents. Uh, I mean, um, I think history hasn't been kind to him. I think that uh, the people that you know, we lived through the seventies, really admired what he did. And he was uh, a great representative of the NWA and a great representative of wrestling. Uh, people believed in Dory Jr. And he put on great, great matches year after year after year. And Bob, uh, who was your number six? Well, uh, somebody told me once this guy uh, wined and dined with Kings and Queens. <laughs> <laughs> But the next night he laid in the gutter eating pork and beans. That's terrible. <laughs> but no, it was it's Dusty Rhodes. I mean, one of a kind new style propelled him in a huge box office. Uh, his face turned in 74 in Florida against Pac Song. Forget it. Forget it. Florida was red hot and it, it just set the rest of the world on his ear. And when Dusty went into that character, it was unlike anything anybody had seen before. A little superstar gray, maybe, but he made it his own. And I'll tell you what. Never has there been a more popular star than Dusty Rhodes coming into his prime in the 1970s. So he's my number six. You know, not to correct anybody, Steve, they actually did a really, I thought, a, a cool angle. It was Harley Race who defeated uh, Dory Funk Jr. for the championship. And then Jack Briscoe defeated Harley Race, which means that Dory Funk Jr. could get on TV and say, hey, how many times did Jack Briscoe wrestle me? And he could never beat me. He could never take the title from me. And now the role is reversed and I can beat Jack Briscoe. I know I can because I've done it before. <laughs> right, right. And, and to Bob's point about Dusty Rhodes, uh, I almost put Pac Song on the list just based on his turn of Dusty Rhodes. So, I mean, d what Dusty did is incredible, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit more. And I have to give a nod to Gary Hart for his role in all of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What a genius he was. He was he was something. Number number five, I had Nick Bockwinkle, who we've already discussed, but I think you know the AWA championship was a big, big deal in the 1970s. That carried carried a lot of territory, a lot of the biggest cities in the United States, you know, uh Chicago, uh Minneapolis, etc. And you know, once again, just a huge star. Great inside the ring, great outside the ring. When Jesse Ventura liked to talk about, you know, when he came to the WWF, I don't need a manager. Well, you were just in the AWA with Heenan and Bockwinkle. It works. Don't worry about <laughs> it. So, yeah, Nick Bockwinkle, number five. My number five, uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, Jack Briscoe. I think he was uh, the premier wrestler of the 70s as far as just the the, the pure athletic uh, amateur wrestling style. Uh, he was pure class in the ring, uh, definitely a great representative of pro wrestling. And um, Bob, who's your number five? Andre. Andre the Giant. Huge attraction, again, a vagabond that went everywhere and did everything and uh, headlined the Los Angeles Battle Royals and headlined Madison Square Garden in a tag team and just on and on it went. He had, and you know what was amazing about Andre in the 70s? He, he'd, he'd appear anywhere. Main <laughs> events in big arenas to high school gyms. He, I, the, the clips are there. It's amazing what a star he was. Just I, He's got to be in my top five. 
Excellent. All right. My number four is someone who now I talked about, you know, how we, I had different tiers and guys who could arguably be number one. Dusty Rhodes to me is right outside of that. I had him in there and then I said, no, I can't really rank him uh, in the same, really in the same range as the other three guys. Um, but, you know, that's not a knock on Dusty. I mean, we talked about what a huge star he was in Florida. And at the same time as being a huge star in Florida, he was big in the Carolinas and big in Georgia. But wait, then he comes to the WWF and has that huge run against superstar Billy Graham. Um, I mean, you know, right outside of that, that, wow, could he be number one tier? Well, that's a that's a great pick. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my my number four pick is superstar Billy Graham. Um, you know, uh, John already mentioned and extolled his virtues, but I mean, I I can't think of a more seventies wrestler than Billy Graham with the uh, tie dyed outfits, the incredible body, uh, the the tan, the blonde hair. Uh, I mean, what he did in the ring, actually, um, he doesn't probably get nearly enough credit for the the style he worked in the ring, the way he would feed the uh, uh, good guys who were pounding on him and the way he would take bumps for them. And he was uh, a bigger guy. He was probably like six foot three or six foot four before he uh, lost a few inches through, uh, you know, uh, his bones going bad and stuff. But uh, he uh, was incredible, pure box office, uh, starting in the uh, – uh, he kind of hit his momentum in the AWA, I think, kind of like Hogan did. Uh, went, went to New York, went to Florida, back to New York again, and uh, he uh, broke box office records. And, and uh, he passed away last year, and he'll forever be missed. So, Bob, who's your number four? Same hey, guy. Can I say something quick about superstar Billy Graham? Number one, how many guys after superstar Billy Graham, how many guys tried to be superstar Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many Billy Graham impersonators did we have? It was like, you know, in the 80s, all the guys in wrestling school either wanted to be Hogan, Flair, or the ro- or one of the Road Warriors. Everyone in the 70s wanted to be superstar Billy Graham. Number two, people talk about he was a poor worker. Not in the 70s, he wasn't. That's was he right. Jack no, he wasn't Jack Briscoe, but he was he was good enough. More than I, good I, enough. To say he was he was a poor worker, I think, is is not true. It, that's said by young people because they didn't understand the psychology, the psychology and athletic limitations of a 70 year old. They wrestled differently. Yes, they did. They didn't train the same way. They didn't do anything the same way. So all you do was punch and kick. I hate to hear that. You know, it just, you know, because you know what? That's what made them bad guys. That's right. <laughs> you know, good guys put I, on holes and maneuvers. Bad guys punched and kicked. Sorry. Yeah. And I, I saw a match. A uh, long time ago. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was superstar Billy Graham defending the WWF championship against Ivan Putsky. Now, a lot of people out there, I'm, oh my God, what a horrible match. No, uh-huh. it was a good match because they knew what they were doing. The heat was so intense. The paint was dripping off the walls of the garden. Yeah. When he hit him with the Polish hammer, you figured I, it was I, a saw, I saw that. I was just talking about with, with another, another one of the guests here. That is one of the most intense crowd reactions I've ever seen. And that includes Bruno's whole career. So sure. the they went go. crazy. Everyone was standing and jumping up and down. Exactly. Because Grant gets knocked down and gets stuck in the ropes and, and does his little pratfall and that's, and they <laughs> it up. Mm-hmm. Every bit of it. Every, and people believe what they were seeing too. That doesn't hurt. Yes. Or better <laughs> put, 
not maybe not believing what they were seeing, but putting the putting the reality aside. Just like if you're watching a movie, mm-hmm. you don't just sit there and go, oh, "He can't run that fast," or whatever. It's true. You see a sad movie and you cry. Yes, although it's not really well, happening, right? It's it's all make believe, but you still are affected by it, and that's true. good wrestling's the same thing. I went went to Rocky Four the night it came out. And when Rocky got in that first punch against the Russian, the cr- the theater popped. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and I always use that as like my wrestling, you know, comparison. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Right. <laughs> Bob, Are we I think you're up. No, I, I think I did Graham. And I, is we Great back game. to John now for three? All right. Now we are in my, this guy, my next three guys, at least coming in had a legitimate claim to the number one spot. My number three is Vern Gagne. Um, You know, king of the AWA in the beginning and middle of the decade, lost the title in a controversial manner to Nick Bockwinkle, got a bunch of rematches after that. He was a top star in the AWA until the, the day he retired and, you know, did the tag team with Mad Dog Vashon in 1979. Um, you know, when you have half a decade as the, you know, more than half a decade, six years as the AWA world champion, you're doing something right. And he was just an icon in the Midwest. So, uh, again, coming in, I'm like, okay, he, who's, he has a claim or an argument for number one. That's how highly I see Vern Gagne. The only reason I uh, didn't list Vern that high is is that I've heard uh, George Shire and other AWA people talk about that the Crusher was really the maybe the premier draw in the AWA and that Vern was you know maybe number two. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people – you know, maybe how like you and I felt about Backlund in 82 or 83 that he was shoved down our throats. That may have been how they felt about Vern maybe near the end of that reign. But uh, but but yeah, I, I, I definitely can see why you would put him at number three. Uh, my number three is uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, you know, definitely another guy who symbolizes 70s wrestling. And as John had uh, already so eloquently said, he was just a star everywhere he went. It was box office everywhere he went. And uh, uh, Dusty was another guy who um, I think a lot of the guys tried to maybe uh, copy on their interviews. Uh, some people say Billy Graham copied Dusty. Some say Dusty copied Billy. And some people say they both copied uh, Thunderbolt Patterson. But uh, but anyhow, they're all near the top of the list. Uh, Dusty's my number three. And Bob, who's your number three? Hey, let me say something really quick. George Shire knows what he's talking about. He is like an AWA version, Steve, of you and I in the WWF, you know, mm-hmm. 1970s, 1980s. And I'm not aware of a statue of Vern Gagne in Milwaukee. So true. <laughs> true. George is an expert. That's a good point. I've got I've got uh, Gagne at three. Okay. And you I, I can leave it at No, or? no, he it's all been described perfectly. So I'll just go we'll go to number two. Harry White was a good friend of mine. He's no longer with us. He would have been on Sick to Wrestling so many times. He he went to all of the St. Louis shows in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And one day I asked him, I said, you know, Harry, who was the best NWA champion you ever saw? And I was I was about to say other than Ric Flair. And he says, Dory Funk Jr. And I'm like, over Flair, over Briscoe? And he's like, yeah, Dory was absolutely the best. That stuck with me. But even without that, I mean, Dory had that run with the NWA championship. 
And then when he lost the title, he continued being a big star in Florida, in Georgia. His role as Terry Funk's uh, Terry Funk's enforcer when Terry was the NWA champion was a big deal. And then we get to the po- to the part where he was still a probably probably next to Terry, the biggest United States star in Japan in the seventies. So Dory Funk Jr. is my number two. Oh, that's an excellent choice. Uh, uh, my number two pick is Eddie Andelman from Boston Radio would say Andre T. Giant. <laughs> but he, uh, he was, uh, you know, I think we've already talked about Andre, but uh, he had some great accomplishments in the 70s, not the least of which was, of course, playing Bigfoot on the $6 million man. So, uh, Bob, uh, who's your number two? Uh, <laughs> I got to stop laughing first. Um <laughs> You know, I try not to taint my list with personal favorites. Like, for instance, Baron Mikel Cicluna is not on this list. I just can't do it. It's not. And that's why I love your podcast, John, because it's a raw bone podcast. Get it? (laughs) All right. So anyway, but this this person happens to be one of my personal favorites. Uh, I did meet him several times and have discussions with him. Has nothing to do with why I read him here. I just think he's a handful of the five greatest people to ever strap him up. And it's Harley race, you know, considering his multiple title runs traveling the world, wrestled in Australia and New Zealand and Canada and anywhere they needed him to defend the belt several times, just the consummate worker, the consummate bad guy, the consummate technician. I'm sorry. My, I'm not sorry. Harley race is my number two. No, no need to be sorry. I mean, you great know, these, pick. all of these guys we're talking about are, I mean, Inner Circle Hall of Famers, the very best, the the elite of pro wrestling in the 70s. Now, we all have the same number one. Um, I I talked about, you know, okay, I'm going to have different tiers. Like, who who really has an argument to be number one? And it turned out at the end of the day, I had two different tiers. I had Bruno Bruno Sammartino tier and the guys who have an argument to be number one if Bruno never existed. It's Bruno all the way. <laughs> Tell us more, John. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you know what, if we wanted to do worldwide, Inoki would be the only guy who had, who, who would have an interview, uh, have a chance against Bruno Sammartino. But if we're leaving it domestically, I mean, you know, you really can't argue either Dory Funk Jr. or uh, Vern Gagne ahead of Bruno. <laughs> Well, I know, uh, I know, as I do the podcast with John, I think Bruno is maybe his second favorite wrestler of all time after Ric Flair, I think. Uh, but with me, Bruno is my favorite. And, um, you know, trying to be objective about this, um, I would say Bruno was probably the highest paid wrestler of the entire 70s uh, from all of his uh, appearances and cards and sellouts. And also, um, you know, as far as the reaction that he got in the ring, I, I think that uh, the fans were so connected to him, like as, as John Jan said on your show, John, uh, when um, when Bruno lost the title, the fans were weeping, crying. Uh, you know, I think I think fans were so connected to him. Uh, you know, it was like it was like almost like your sports team. You know, when your sports team loses, you know, you're devastated. You don't want to go to work. You call out sick. Uh, I think people were so invested in Bruno. Uh, you can't say that about other wrestlers. I think by the time Hogan came along, people were, you know, going crazy for Hulk Hogan. But it was more like, hey, he's, you know, the superhero. We're going to root for him. But they didn't, 
it wasn't like he was family the way Bruno was. And, and, and I don't think Backlund ever had that connection either. Bruno had a, like a family-like connection to people, you know, and you didn't have to be Italian to feel that way. I think everybody felt that way about him. And Bob, uh, tell us what you think about your number one. The first time I ever in my life went to Madison Square Garden to see professional wrestling was in the later 70s because I was an upstate guy. I had no access to come down. I finally came down. And we decided, me and my best friend decided to spend the day just walking around Manhattan like everybody from out of town does. And I look inside a barber shop, just a regular old barber shop in, right in Midtown. I look in the guys who are getting their hand cut. And right next, right next to the cash register is a signed photograph from Bruno Sammartino. And I'm like, they really love him around here, don't they? And then I discovered more and more about him and got all the tapes I could get my hands on it and read about him. Let's face it, he was the biggest star in the biggest city, in the biggest area for the longest time. He set a standard for what a world champion should look like, act like, walk like, talk like. I just I just think he was the perfect man for the perfect role at the perfect time. He was the 70s biggest star, Bruno Sammartino. What can I tell you? I, he just had it. He had it. People loved him like he was a member of their families. I've never seen devotion. You could talk about Hunkle, Hulk, excuse me, you could talk about Hulkamania. You could talk about what's going on now. No wrestler was ever as beloved as Bruno Sammartino. I rest my case. A couple of Sammartino anecdotes, okay? Uh, Bruno would talk about you know how he would go out in New York to an Italian restaurant and if there were kids around in the restaurant, he wouldn't order order wine with his meal because he felt like, you know, that that's behavior un- unbecoming the World Wrestling Federation champion. Like, I mean, can you imagine with some other wrestlers, right? That's class act. Steve, you were talking about the, the money Bruno made. Um, supposedly to lure him back for his second reign as WWF champion, Vince McMahon Sr. Gave Bruno just, I mean, whatever he wanted. And what that turned out to be was 8% of the gross on all the shows he wrestled, except for Madison Square Garden, where he got 10% of the gross. It was unheard of to the point where when Sam Mushnick, the NWA uh, president, called up Vince McMahon Sr. and yelled at him. He's like, what am I supposed to tell Briscoe and Race after you give this to Bruno? But it's it's what Vince Sr. needed to do to get Bruno back. That's another anecdote that like argues why he's number one. You know, the WWF did whatever they needed to do to get him back. And you know, he kept saying, No, I don't want to come back. And then they gave him, pardon the pun, the offer he couldn't refuse. I have a uh, I have a very good friend of mine who lives in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and uh, he saw a lot of the cards in the '60s where uh, the WWF would would have a card in Scranton the day after the Monday night MSG shows. They were getting these like loaded shows coming to Scranton the next day, and he remembers seeing Rain One Bruno, who was a beast. I mean, he was a lot heavier than Rain Two Bruno was, and he was mm-hmm. a real powerhouse. And and to show you, I mean, the magnitude of how popular he was in the 70s i mean he wasn't even peak bruno anymore he was kind of like you know bruno as he prepares to you know move on to the next stage of his life and he was still the number one box office king of wrestling so that's how popular he was but he was a legitimate health nut though i mean he for was. real what he ate how he worked out the whole nine yards and he lost all that way because he felt he had to 
personally. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and and I think I think it actually added to the drama of him wrestling these super heavyweights, the Bruiser Brodies, the Ken Pateras, the Stan Hansens. Seeing him at like two forty eight go against these monsters, it added more of him being vulnerable to these monsters, and it really added to the drama of the matches. I tell you, what, if you look at a picture of. Bruno in Toronto, where he really first made a big name for himself, and mm-hmm. then cut to '77 in New York. Two different guys. Yes, right. Yeah, he was a beast in those early days in '63 in Toronto. Top heavy. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. You know, if we want to continue our, our, our Valentine to Bruno Sammartino, after Backlund won the championship February 1978, he became a draw in Boston, but he was not a draw right away so instead of using bob backland they would have bob backland wrestle in philly or wherever and they'd have bruno main event the main event boston garden and it would be like you know peter Maivia turned on bob backland well bruno's going to get revenge for bob backland at the boston garden <laughs> uh pat patterson's doing all this crazy stuff on tv knocking people out with brass knuckles well bruno's going to teach him a lesson at the boston garden yeah, they like even we had didn't get that much backland. We were getting Bruno, and backland was the champion. Mm-hmm. They even had Bruno against Stan Hansen in the Boston in '81, where they didn't wrestle anywhere else other than Boston, which was quite impressive. Which was weird. I mean, that is a you would think even without the the belt that would have headlined Madison Square Garden. I'm talking 1981 here, but I used to at midnight go to my friend's house and watch the WOR show on on channel nine right so we're 16 years old and bruno comes on and he announces his retirement and Mm -hmm. we're all of us are literally holding back tears he was you know such a sad announcement it was such a a sad day and the way he did it was brilliant he's like you know you see guys in other sports and they say ah he used to be good he's okay now but he's not what he once was and bruno's like i don't want people saying that about me and what a way to go out. Opening the Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey against, yes. George, against George Steele, as I recall. It was against George the Animal Steele, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a big Steele guy. I wish they'd given him someone else, Morocco. <laughs> I don't know. But, but you know, I, I will add to that that I, I am grateful that he came back for the mid-'80s comeback because the matches he had with Piper and the matches with Savage, uh, it introduced him to a new generation. And, uh, you know, as Brian last on our show has mentioned about uh, when he called Savage, you piece of slime, you know, that was uh, slime. Bruno to a new generation of fans. And it was great to uh, see him in there. So uh, I'm glad that he came back for that final run. I am one of the few, I am one of probably uh, maybe 5,000 people left who can say, hey, I got to see Bruno Sammartino against Roddy Piper twice. Wow. And, you know, I'll just give you this little anecdote, you know, just being selfish here. My first column ever in PWI was a picture of me with my arms outstretched holding Bruno Sammartino and Larry Smithco apart from each other as they began to argue in a dressing room. I saw that photo recently. It's yeah. cool. It's and cool. it's like... I, that was my first column. We had just, they just give me the column, and I said, "What are we going to do?" Uh, after and I went to this indie show where the, the, uh, I think it was Larry against uh, David Sammartino with Bruno managing David and Paul Heyman managing Zabisco. It was an indie show, but there they all are. And I'm like, hey, Bill goes, "Go stand between those guys." I said, "Why? You'll see." Now hold your arms apart. You guys argue. And they all went, <laughs> "Oh yeah, okay." And we had a little mini angle for the magazines. How can I not be proud of that? 
Very nice. And two out of three of us at least have seen Bruno Sammartino Jr. or David Sammartino against Larry Zabisco live at an indie show. <laughs> oh, who, who's, who's, you saw that too? Yeah, I saw it in 1982 right here in Nashua. It was uh, Killer Kowalski's old promotion that he was doing. And every time I had gone to wrestling, whether it had been in a high school or Jack Witchie's Sports Arena or the Boston Garden, the place was full. And the front row wasn't even full for this show. It was just a, a phenomenal flop. <laughs> well, people didn't know what they missed, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, guys. This this has been a blast. Now, we are not finished. Well, first of all, before we do give our goodbyes here, let's debate a few of these things amongst each other. John, okay. John, and, John and Steve both had Fred Blassie listed way lower than I did. Let me explain why I had him up so high. That 71 feud against Tolis is set box office records? Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, that was such a big deal in wrestling at that point. It was unheard of what those guys did. Not to no, mention, no, I, not to no mention national publicity for a match in Los Angeles. No, like I, the I Joe agree Bishop with you. Variety show and stuff like no, that. No, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I rated him 37, and I felt like, you know, three. I thought like 37 was high enough for somebody who re- basically retired in 74. That's that's how I felt about it. Well, that's true. Yeah, I went after Los Angeles, he did. Well, he kept going to Japan back and forth through about 75 as well. Mm-hmm. And then he had his late WWF run in 72 to about end of 73 if it was even the end of 73 but i thought what he mm-hmm. the way he cl- started the deck it was so monumental yes well, and no, such, and, and, such and a capper to an amazing career that i couldn't i couldn't rate it lower i just thought he was it was the end of a legends and I, one of my great wishes to today is i got to see even five minutes of any of those blasty tolos matches because they must have been wild you know, there's a great picture on the internet of uh, from WrestleMania 10 backstage. Burt Reynolds, I think, was the timekeeper or the ring announcer. And there, there's a picture of Burt Reynolds down on bended knee kissing the ring of Fred Blassie because <laughs> Blassie was the king of men. He was the king of L.A. when Burt was probably doing uh, Deliverance or one of those movies. You know, Fred Blassie, I mean, I actually went to cagematch.net. To see, okay, when exactly did Fred Blassie stop wrestling? He stopped wrestling in the middle of 1974, mm-hmm. and I I took that into consideration. Like he had one match in 1975, and then another match in 1985 against Albano. Um, <laughs> so you know, it was only I I felt like I had to take that into account that you know he was flat out retired after you know the mid 1974. But Bob, I'm not going to say your ranking was too high for the reasons that that you mentioned as well as the fact that, hey, he was a god in Japan. Well, there, there's the thing. As Steve and I talked about before we made the list out, it's the influence in the decade of mm-hmm. all of these guys. Right. And I honestly think that Blasi Tolos was the feud of the decade. And nothing can compare because none of the box offices really topped it until late in the decade. So well, I, I, that was such a I, big event. You see, it was before pay-per-views and all this other stuff. You had to, you had to weigh it against what else was going on. And that blew it was all huge. the rest of the territories away completely, at least at that time period. And that was, I think, 71, to be honest with you. But it, it was, was 71. But people talk about Blessy Tolis to this day. I don't know what else to say they about do. that other than that his influence – you know, he was a manager at 75 with Nikolai Volkov starting out in the WWWF. And um, his influence continued to 
you know, be there. He just wasn't working anymore because his knees were shot to hell. He well, I had a guy. Too. He was in his fifties. He was in his mid fifties when he retired. Yeah. Well, I had a guy that I, I listed a lot higher than either of you did. I had Johnny Valentine at twenty seven, and the reason I had him up so high like that, and he retired in seventy five after that plane crash. Um, so, so the reason I had him so high. We had Todd Goss on Stick to Wrestling. Uh, Todd is like the expert on Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. And he told told us on the show that uh, what Johnny Valentine against uh, Wahoo McDaniel was the premier feud in, in, in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. And in his opinion, it was far superior to anything Flair did after that or the other big names that would come after that. So they, they were game changers in the Carolinas. And that's why I had Johnny Valentine so high. Johnny Valentine, and I, I, I hope people take this the right way. So intense, and he made everything look real. He was not right. fooling around. He was not. He was not. This was not kid stuff. You know, he yeah. was very intense in the ring, and had to be a huge influence. And you know, yeah, I agree. He's. It's another one of those questions where you to put him. You know, some guys, like I said, he was done halfway through the decade, and all this other stuff. Where do you put some of these guys? Who do you leave off? I like I told Steve, John, I had 250, 260 names <laughs> written down. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, it's it's like, how do you I think though, once we get into the we tabulate this final, I think we came up with a pretty doggone list. I think it's it's oh, pretty I can't wait accurate. To write that. I think it's pretty accurate. I really do. Steve, respectfully, Tony Atlas like 20 spots ahead of Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> they started right around the same time, and you know Steamboat was the United States champion. He got the big matches against Harley Race. He had the big feud with Ric Flair. I I just don't think Tony Atlas. I, and I love Tony Atlas. I think you know he easily could have been on my top one hundred. But I mean, I I just can't see that one. Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind uh, saying I hit a bad uh, golf shot on that one <laughs> because he he. Uh, I mean, some of those choices near the end, I, I think you know you could kind of flip flop anybody like in that bottom thirty. But um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll call that one a, a bunker shot. There, uh, just a bad call right. on my point. And that's the thing, you know, there to me, there's a big difference, a big gap between number one and number two on my list. OK, there's mm -hmm. a big gap from number three to number four, number 60 to number 70. I, I could have put the names in the hat in a hat. Right. right. There's, there's just not that much difference. I'm going to go back to Steamboat for a second. I had him at 93. Yeah, I need to yell at you too. Uh, well, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> but here's the thing: his first singles title, which was the NWTV title, was in '77. As the mm -hmm. decade was, you know, kind of late. He did he did win a couple of regional titles in there as well. It's just again, I was looking at it from the overall scheme, and what was his greatest decade? And it was the '80s for sure. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. it's it again, and you know, <laughs> to have him five spots from Brute Bernard. I mean, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to put Bruce Bernard on the list because I'm telling you what, he was still headlining te territories throughout he the decade. Popular. He was popular. Oh, God. He, I, he was, you I, know, I he's one guy who I never understand how he got over even in the 50s. He's just, I just, he just a terrible act. Just lame. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Ricky Steamboat, I mean, you mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm saying this for the benefit of the audience, how you guys know this. You know, there, there are regional titles, and then there's the mid-Atlantic version of the United States title, which mm -hmm. was probably the number four championship at the time Ricky Steamboat held it. 
So maybe that's why I'm I'm ranking him so high because you know, hey, he was the top guy in one of the top territories. And he would end up being one of the all-time great baby faces overall. So, no, I have no problem with what you're saying there. I, I will mention that I, I thought you guys had both rated George Steele a little too high. I had him at 62. And the only reason I'm saying this is he was a part-timer. I mean, he, he wasn't wrestling full-time. He was doing his teaching school, being a football coach, and then he would wrestle in the summer months. So that, that's why I kind of penalized him a bit in the ranking. You know what? That that makes sense. I did not take that into account. I probably should have. Okay. You know the beauty part about all this? All these arguments make sense. They all, everybody's <laughs> everybody's point makes sense. And this is the fun of this stuff. It yeah. is. If we had beer at a bar, we'd be talking about the same thing right now, probably. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's like Absolutely. It, it's like this is what we do. This is what we are invested in. And I want you to guys know that I I've spared no expense. When I come down to tabulating our official one hundred, bring out the computer, Helena. <laughs> here, no, here it is. The Commodore 64, ladies and gentlemen. The the I love um, it. the computer I will use to tabulate the outdated wrestling hour, 1970s 100, and uh, it, it still runs. But I got to find that paper with the uh, holes in the sides. So you know, <laughs> you're gonna be playing some micro league baseball after that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have Mike League Baseball for my Com 64, and I would start it, put the disc in, and I'd go make something to eat. And if I, when I came back 20 minutes later, maybe it was ready to play. Jeez, I was such a dumb young adult. I bought that computer hoping I could play the Earl Weaver game on it. <laughs> I and the Earl Weaver was not available for the Commodore 64. I felt so bad. It was That was such a good game. You missed out. Yeah. Let, let me let me ask you guys. Let me ask you guys this. Just I want to get your opinion quickly. When I look at the entire hundred, and if I if I just pick one name out of the hundred based on my opinion, the, the guy who is the most underrated to me on the entire list is Bob Orton. I think Bob Orton's wrestling is so phenomenal, and Randy Orton, of course, you know, really chip off the old block. He he's so great. Is there anybody on your top one hundred that you think? has gotten kind of like forgotten in the past or gotten short shrift. Who can you think of? Dick Slater. Yeah. Slater. Slater. There was a time where, you know, he was being talked about as potentially being an NWA champion. And he held, he was the, the, the top star wherever he went. And then he went to the WWF in 1986, and it was like all of the charisma got sucked out of him. It was the end yeah. of Dick Slater. Yeah, it and was just like remember with the, that version of Dick Slater. It was just like what the Joker did to that uh, surfing champion on the old Batman show. He sucked yeah, all the my line. <laughs> sucked all the talent out of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but you Bob, know, Bob, Bob, who do you think like that? Who do you think is really underrated on your list? I'll tell you who. Seriously, Travel Green, Travel Senior. That would have been my number two. Honestly, we're, we're thinking because, this because he he carried Los Angeles for a long time. Oh yeah, after the last few years. And his skill level was incredible. Yes, it was. He was a fantastic star. Mark Lewin, too. Yes, was, very I, underrated. I was openly wondering at the you know late 70s, early 80s, whatever happened to Chavo Guerrero? I mean, yeah. I knew he was a big deal. And to this day, I don't care if they're a little bit smaller than most of the wrestlers in the mid-80s. 
Chavo and Hector Guerrero should have had a huge run as a tag team in either the WWF or more likely JCP. And right now we'd be raving about the classic Guerrero versus Rock and Roll Express matches, Guerrero's versus Midnight Express matches. Oh, yeah. yeah and they it, beat it, the Guerrero's it, against the Rock and Rolls in Mid-South, and they were great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge loss that that never happened. That's That's a great point. Never even considered that. That's true. Well, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. I'm having a blast here. And um, are you having having fun, you two? I'm having a lot of fun. I loved it. Me too. This is is why you do this stuff, you know, for these kind of – I mean, I hope the fans out there who are listening will enjoy the show as well. Um, Guys, hype yourselves a little bit before I bid you adieu. Well, well, let me say this too. I mean, you know, Steve hit me with the idea top 100 and I, I did not say Ugh, homework. I'm like, no, this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, you know, it was the same with me. He came up with this idea. I think we were talking on Facebook. He said, have you ever considered doing a top 100 for the seventies? And I went boing <laughs> because, because the seventies are my jam. They're my meat and potatoes. They're, they're the thing that has, you know, made me a wrestling fan was the 1970s. So uh, to be able to sit down and I didn't even need to just write names on a piece of paper, which is what I did at first. I didn't need to reference anything. They were all coming out of me one after another. (laughs) Then before I knew it, I was up to like 239. I mean, you better stop. (laughs) So, so so it's like, then how do I wheedle this down? So that's when I started lopping off guys who I thought kind of bloomed into the eighties. Right. Because it's like if we ever do an 80s one, maybe that would be a more appropriate time to put some of these fellows on. So and again, my uh, my other my other controversial pick was, I guess, Mula. But how do you how do you not? I mean, her influence was so far and wide, regardless of what you thought of her. You know, it was she was women's wrestling. And yeah, Bobby Heenan thing. too. That was good. Well, Heenan was working in the early part of the decade through the mid Every federation he was ever in, they throw him in the in the ring with whoever his tag, t- tag team was, and he'd work. Yeah. And if you've never seen Heenan work, boy, was he good. Yeah, best oh, bumper going. I, my counterpoint on Moolah is, you know, when we would go to the Boston Garden in the 80s and the women's match came out, I mean, we had people, including myself, sprinting to the bathroom because we all knew <laughs> everyone was going. And, you know, either you'll, when it came to women's wrestling, it's a totally different deal in 2024. Um, it was, you know, in the 70s, it was just something I wasn't into. And a lot, a lot of people agreed with me as they fled to the bathroom. <laughs> well, I agree. You know, oh, the, you know, I remember how they used to advertise women's wrestling in the 70s. Girls, girls, girls. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd get to the reading and you'd say, where, where, where? No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> But but it, it, it's like it used it, to be a girl. But they all wrestled the same style. Do you ever notice that the Mula yeah. style? Yeah, the Mula. They all wrestled like Mula did. You know, they all they were all built the same same heights, same weights, and they yeah. all wrestled the same style. It was what women's wrestling was at that point. Leilani Kai is a great follow on Twitter, and she has all kinds of stories about going to Moolah's camp with Sherry Martell and a couple of other uh, no, uh, recognizable names. And, you know, she just has great stories and she has great uh, personal pictures. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not personal. Um, <laughs> like pictures in real life. You know what I'm saying? Not like oh, candid photos. Right. 
that was her candid photo. She has a great collection. So there's my plug to Leilani Kai. She's a great follow. If you enjoyed me on this podcast, if you enjoyed Steve on this podcast, we do stick to wrestling every week. Uh, Steve's on more than 50% of the time now, but he's not, not on a hundred percent. I'm on a hundred percent of the time. We're up to 290 something episodes and, uh, I hope you check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Steve and I have been doing a deep dive into the national expansion that started in earnest uh, tw- 40 years ago, excuse me. And, you know, we lived through it and we experienced it and we can tell you all about the changes and how how drastically the WWF changed from 1983 to 1984. That's not all we do. We just had Bob on the show. It was a fantastic show. Uh, and we did a, a mailbag show on WWF 1984 that just came out uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So, like I said, I want you to think it's all WWF 1984. It's all kinds of stuff. But check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, they're going to definitely enjoy it. And Steve, you got anything to say, kid? No, I'm, I'm just grateful to be here with both of you guys. Uh, um, you know, thank you for allowing us to plug uh, Stick to Wrestling, Bob. And uh, yeah, thank you, we, Bob. Loved, we loved having you on our show. It was one of the most popular shows we've done in a long, long time. And uh, I hope your listeners to the Outdated uh, Wrestling Podcast, I hope uh, I hope they really love this venture back into the 70s, because I know the three of us really did. Well, I was going to say, I hope they enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Well, I'll, I'll, let me allow me this before we go. Um, the third week in January was my greatest week as a podcaster because I got to be on Stick for Wrestling, first of all. <laughs> and I, you know, it's an Arcadian Vanguard show, best of the best of the bunch other than Jim Cornette. You know, you don't rate them, they're all good. But I just want to say how grateful I am to all you guys because, um, I'm kind of having a personal renaissance through all this. And I want to thank everybody, especially you two, because it's like, it was such a thrill being on your show and nobody does a better wrestling nostalgia podcast than stick to wrestling with John McAdam. If you're not listening, you're crazy. You got to hear this show. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm very flattered, Bob. I mean, and, and just, I have a guy who wrote for pro wrestling illustrated saying this. Well, I'll tell you something else. Give Brian last my regards too. Cause if Brian last puts a show on the air, it's good. He, and that's he, all there is to it. He's he got the quality. touch. He's great. Yeah. Yes. So th- that's basically it, folks. Now, hold on for a few minutes because I'm going to come right back after this word with the final tabulations on the 1970s 100. Don't move. We'll be right back. And so here we go. The official outdated wrestling hour, 1970s 100, read from number 100 to one. Let me tell you something. We had so many people that we talked about on this show that didn't make the top 100. I had another list of 150 wrestlers, all of whom deserve to be on this list. The 1970s were stacked with some of the greatest wrestlers you'll ever see. It's a shame we couldn't do 500. I mean that. We could have. I'm telling you, we could have. So anyway, I think to even make this list is uh, just a tribute to everybody that's on it. And I mean that sincerely. This was the decade that got me into professional wrestling, the 1970s. And I look back at it with such fondness. I know there's a bunch of you as old as I am listening to feel the same way about it. 
And if you're younger, I hope you learn from this show and go back and get some videotape and watch a lot of these great stars in action. So here we go. The official 1970s 100 in ascending order. Here we go. Number 100, Greg Gagne. Number 99, Killer Carl Cox. Number 98, Robert Fuller. Number 97, Gene Kaniski. Number 96, Jerry Jarrett. Number 95, Dutch Savage. Number 94, Sega Segaguchi. Number 93, Professor Toru Tanaka. Number 92, Bob Roop. Number 91, Ted DiBiase. Number 90, Bob Orton Jr. Number 89, Johnny Weaver. Number 88, Bobby Shane. Number 87, Buddy Rose. Number 86, Jackie Fargo. Number 85, Johnny Valiant. Number 84, Tony Gurria. Number 83, Joe LaDuc. Number 82, Ron Fuller. Number 81, Bulldog Brower. Number 80, Jimmy Snuka. Number 79, Bill Dundee. Number 78, John Tolos. Number 77, Waldo Von Erich. Number 76, Red Bastine. Number 75, Spiros Arion. Number 74, The Spoiler. Number 73, Dino Bravo. Number 72, The Fabulous Moolah. Number 71, Black Jack Lanza. Number 70, Chavo Guerrero Sr. Number 69, Rick Steamboat. Number 68, Peter Mayavia. Number 67, Baron Von Raschke. Number 66, Pampero Furpo. Number 65, Tommy Rich. Number 64, Edouard Carpentier. Number 63, Gene Anderson. Number 62, Ox Baker. Number 61, Dick Slater. Number 60, Mark Lewin. Number 59, Bruiser Brody. Number 58, Tim Woods. Number 57, King Curtis. Number 56, Heastacks Calhoun. Number 55, Ole Anderson. Number 54, The Mighty Igor. Number 53, Bill Watts. Number 52, Stan Stasiak. Number 51, Bob Armstrong. Number 50, Don Leo Jonathan. Number 49, Ivan Putsky. Number 48, Larry Hennig. Number 47, Jimmy Valiant. Number 46, Johnny Powers. Number 45, Victor Rivera. Number 44, Dick Murdoch. Number 43, Stan Hansen. Number 42, Jerry Lawler. Number 41, Jose Lothario. Number 40, Jody Valentine. Number 39, Antonio Inoki. Number 38, Wahoo McDaniel. 
Number 37, Paul Jones. Number 36, George Steele. Number 35, Giant Baba. Number 34, Dick the Bruiser. Number 33, Greg Valentine. Number 32, Ken Patera. Number 31, Killer Kowalski. Number 30, Blackjack Mulligan. Number 29, Rocky Johnson. Number 28, Fred Blassie. Number 27, Ray Stevens. Number 26, Bad Dog Vashon. Number 25, Rick Flair. Number 24, Chief J. Strongbow. Number 23, Fritz von Erich. Number 22, Mr. Wrestling 2. Number 21, Pat Patterson. And now the top 20 of the 1970s. Number 20, Abdullah the Butcher. Number 19, The Crusher. Number 18, Billy Robinson. Number 17, Bobo Brazil. Number 16, Ernie Ladd. Number 15, Ivan Koloff. Number 14, Mil Mascaras. Number 13, Pedro Morales. Number 12, Bob Backlund. Number 11, Harley Race. Number 10, Terry Funk. Number 9, Dory Funk Jr. Number 8, Jack Briscoe. Number 7, Nick Bockwinkle. Number 6, Superstar Billy Graham. Number 5, The Sheik. Number 4, Vern Gagne. Number 3, Dusty Rhodes. Number 2, Andre the Giant. And number 1, garnering all of our first place votes, all three of us, Bruno Sammartino. There you have it. I don't think there were any surprises about who number one was. Do you disagree with anything about this list? Do me a favor. Write to us. Outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. That's outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Or find me on Facebook. I'm Bob Smith, and I'm singing with B.B. King on my page. Very easy to do. Either way, feel free to message me if you have any comments about this. And we will read them on the air. Provided you don't curse or act stupid. <laughs> right? So there you go. Um, our theme song is usually Hold On a Sec by Brian Teo. We had a special theme for this. We'll get back to Brian's theme with our next edition. Our website, Outdated Wrestling Hour. Dot. Buzzsprout. Dot. Com, where you can listen to every single one of our shows. We're also on every podcast app you can think of, Spotify and Samsung News and this and that, and um, Google Podcasts, which is about to go the way of the dodo, and you just name it, Apple Apple Podcasts or iTunes, just go down the list. We're everywhere you can find a podcast, everywhere, Podbay, Podbean, all of them. Listen Notes, you ever hear that? I love Podbay. Podbay is a great wrestling podcast site. You got to check that out. And you can find me on Facebook, like I said, and uh, that's about it for now. I'm going to cut this uh, edition ending short because I think you've heard enough. (laughs) I know I've done enough work on this one, I'll tell you that much. Thank you, Steve Generelli. Thank you, John McAdam. Thank all of you 
for listening and being so loyal to this program for going into our second year now. This has been a blast. This has been as much fun. And I can tell you right now, this is probably one of my three favorite podcasts to put together. This is the goods. This was a blast. We hope you agree. We really do. Please come back and see us. Peace and love and serenity to everybody out there. Think of others. Feels good when you do it. We'll see you next week.